every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Keith Messick, Senior Vice President of Marketing at LaunchDarkly, a feature management platform built by developers for developers. Keith has served as CMO at companies like Dialpad and Lucidworks, and also held senior leadership roles at Topsy, which was acquired by Apple. On this episode, Keith delivers actionable insights around the importance of creating great content for developers, the key differences between category creation and category capture, and how to avoid rebranding nightmares. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Keith Messick, Senior Vice President of Marketing at LaunchDarkly, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I am joined by my good pal, Keith Messick. How are you? I am fine. Looking good, pal. It's been a while. Yeah, thanks. You know, uh, the baby's three and a half months old, so my brain is reduced to mush most days. But here I am, sharpening the razor's edge. Uh, you're the uh, the diamond to my much darker piece of coal at this moment. So, you know, I have four kids. We've talked about this. Blended family. My oldest, she just started college, like freshman year, which is blowing my mind. And then my youngest, who, you know, oldest is uh, my stepdaughter. I just consider her my daughter. Youngest just turned 13. And I'm like, whoa. So <laughs> it's a different game <laughs> at the teenage years. But, you know, it's interesting. So congrats on the baby. It's uh, I honestly like being a parent, uh, challenging, but definitely um, the best decision I've ever made. It's uh, it's pretty incredible, and it gives me a little less time for marketing, but uh, but plenty of time to do this podcast. And uh, we were chatting before this. I'm super excited for this episode. Launch Darkly is skyrocketing up the cloud 100 list, which is really exciting. And it's a it's a super cool company. So we're going to get into what marketing and demand gen looks like at Launch Darkly. So let's get into it. But first, what was your first job in demand gen? That's a good question. Well, you know, all the way back to selling yogurt at TCBY, I was really out there trying to <laughs> to get people to want these milkshakes. Now, um, honestly, my first job in demand, I've never formally had, you know, like I'm the head of demand gen, right? When you're the run marketing, you're obviously the head of demand gen. But honestly, years ago, I was in sales and I was in sales where um, you had to do all your own outbound. And so I was a corporate executive board in DC, mid 2000s. And, you know, it was a, a lot of, uh, it was basically a BDR plus, it was like being a BDR plus a rep. And so I both got to appreciate the in and outs of outbound, which is hard. And also gave me enough insight to really get uh, upset with marketing 
which is then transferred to being on the marketing side, I'd be like, oh, no, I get it. You know what I mean? So I get the frustrations of reps and outbound. I get where that model scales and where it doesn't. And obviously, the easiest way to to put up big pipeline numbers is through inbound if you've got the right product, the right market, and the right timing. So tell us a little bit about LaunchDarkly. Well, neither of us are engineers, although I was a terrible one years ago. So it's a product for neither of us <laughs> necessarily. But um, yeah, LaunchDarkly, you know, it's a in the DevOps, Dev tool space. We created a category called feature management. Um, the easiest way to think about it is if you believe that every company is a software company, I do. You know, I don't think of just software companies as tech companies. Uh, your bank's a software company. Your the airline's a software company. You buy shoes from a software company, et cetera, et cetera. We provide software for developers in order to basically have like extreme control over the release process. So if you think about releasing software, especially in a world where people view it as a competitive advantage, and so speed becomes the you know imperative, it's like anything else. Speed introduces risk. People don't like risk, especially big companies don't love risk. What LaunchDarkly does is allow people to sort of fundamentally change the way they build software, but give them complete control over the release process. So easiest way to think of it is releases are something that are sort of a nightmare of anxiety. Are we going to screw it up? We're going to have to roll it back. In the purest like emotional sense, we remove that anxiety. And I think that's why the companies. You know, good execution, but great idea, great timing, great product market fit. Two founders that are developers understood the needs, understood the persona, and built something that I think really the right time that developers and DevOps and heads of application and heads of platform, all the way up to the CTO, um, they saw this as something that um, really could sort of change the way they think about shipping software. Okay, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is where we go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. So first off, who are your customers? Who buys LaunchDarkly? Anyone with money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We sell to, you know, we are in the kind of DevOps, DevTools, software delivery space. Those things get mashed together. We created a category, that's always a fun conversation, called feature management, and we sell to software teams. So the end user is ultimately software developers and the extended teams. The buyer really depends on the size of the company, could be everywhere from the dev manager to head of DevOps to head of platform, architecture, CTO, whatever it is, right? But yeah, that's that we live in that space. And um, I think we've talked about this before, but if you can build a, you know, a successful business in the developer space and kind of win the hearts and minds of developers, you can build a very big company. There's so many good examples. So it's a, it's a fun challenge. Yeah, and so um, what is your marketing strategy? How does demand gen fit into that? You know, when you think about category creation, you know, everything has to be very tightly integrated or it doesn't work, right? So, you know, we are very much in um, demand generation mode and less so in kind of demand capture mode. 
We've talked about this a couple of times, but you know, when you have a very mature market and people know what they're looking for, you're trying to capture your share of that market. When you have a new category, you are having to generate interest. Like it is legitimate demand gen. And then as over time, pieces of that market become more mature and you then try and capture that. And then, but you always have an eye towards expanding the size of the opportunity of the buyer pool, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a little bit of both. We're doing capture and demand generation. You know, in our world, it's a lot of technical content and it's a lot of, um, you know, DevRel is something that I think all companies in our space have developer relations, if that doesn't make sense at home, or developer advocacy. There's a lot of different names, but getting developer relations advocacy if you start thinking of that as part of your content strategy, really dialing in that effort is key to making it work because developers are sort of skeptical. You can't really, um, it's hard to just market for market sake. The content has to be good, not great. They're not great at clicking paid ads. So you, you really need content to index. So SEO is a really important part of this. And then anything you put in front of them has to pass the smell test in like five seconds or your toast. So um, this is my second company selling and marketing to developers. It's an interesting challenge. I like it, but it is it is definitely different than when I was say at Dialpad, where we're selling business communications, both in terms of audience and then all of the channels you'd use to make that work. And so, how did you how, how did you go in when you came into the role? How did you go about like looking at spreading the resources and, and figuring out how to acquire those accounts. Because if developers are a key stakeholder in this piece, but at the end of the day, you know, someone, um, you know, above that person is, is the end buyer. Like, how are you devoting resources towards, you know, shaping the community versus, you know, shaping the, the person who's actually holding the purse strings and signing the dotted line? I mean, first of all, I think in our space, more than any other space, is if the product isn't great, you're toast. Marketing could not solve for that problem. If your email marketing company is okay, you know, it's a seven out of 10, I don't know. You can probably still have a successful business. If your SaaS company in the developer space has a bad product, then you're just toast. So I'm, you know, a lot of credit to the product team, you know, without that great product market fit, really created something that solves a pain that's out there. So that in and of itself makes the job easier. As it relates to the question, it's honestly, in terms of time, I mean, I have this, we always have this thought that like, regardless of who the buyer is, um, especially in the, the developer space, someone's gonna ask the developers, do you wanna use this software? And if they say no, your deal's dead. Even if you say like, well, a developer can't get the deal done, they can certainly kill the deal easily. So you have to really think about, even if you don't have like a bottoms up business model, you have to think about bottoms up affinity. Like you really do have to create a product that people want to use and then really embrace the end user. And that's everything from onboarding and docs to just speaking at the right events and you know, understanding the developer culture, right? So we spend a lot of time on that because if you bypass that, and I've tried this before at a previous company, you can do all the things right. You can get to the C-level, you can, it's the perfect enterprise pitch and marketing's done their job and 
you've done some big hospitality event, you've all of this. And at some point before it's signed, someone's going to go ask other people, do you want to use this? And so if you've bypassed thinking about the end user, you're absolutely toast. So we spend equal amounts of time on both, to be honest with you. A lot of the content we create is for the end users to make them, it's kind of inspiring people to go do a thing with your product. And then a lot of the content and effort we create is to try and get upstream and, and you know, sell the benefit, right? There's like an old adage in developer marketing, which is like, which is hard for a lot of marketers is that at the very bottom, you sell the feature, not the benefit, which is counterintuitive. But as you go up, you sell the benefit and not the feature. And you have to be able to do both to make it work. I love that. That's great. I hadn't heard that before. I didn't coin the phrase. So apologies. Someone did. And I just can't cite them at the moment because I can't think of who it is. But it is quite true. When you come into a role like that and you're assessing like how you're spending money and these sort of things, it can be like it can be very nebulous with how you approach this. If you're not, so like in that case, if you're looking at, hey, I wanna shape a community. I wanna create helpful things for this community. I wanna be where they are. Uh, I wanna be helpful in that way. How do you associate an ROI to that? How do you you know, justify that to, you know, to your boss? Yeah, so this is it's a great question. This is something that always comes up as it relates to kind of developer advocacy relations. How do you measure it? It's like inherently, you know, it's a good idea, but then how do you, like prove to someone that it's a good idea. So when I got to launch Darkly, that team was already established and I think doing a really good job. So it, it wasn't something that I had to come in and fix, which was really helpful. If Honestly, where we were, the challenge was, was kind of on the sort of more traditional sort of digital marketing and demand side, right? We did really well with uh, developer relations and like I said, product um, and strong product management team that helped. The team shows up on win reports. It's kind of a balance of activity which is activity can be a dangerous KPI, right? Because you, you can do a lot of activity, but it doesn't amount to anything. So you try and you know balance the amount of activity with the results you can prove. And then you look at things like everything from are, more, are we adding people to the database, right? Are we activating the existing database, right? That's the challenge at all times is like, if I think about we have a pool of people, it's a circle, <laughs> could be a square, I don't care. Are we doing something to make those people take action? That's that's job number one. And or are we doing something to make the circle or square bigger? We need to do both, right? If we're just we're just adding more passive people into the mix, eventually you have to activate them. If we're not adding any new people into the mix, eventually you run out of market. So we, um, I think if there's one thing we've tried to do that I probably have tried to shape on the existing developer relations team is making sure that we think about it that way. So we're not just trapped in the activity space and we're starting to track, we're, we're attaching KPIs to those activities. I have a sort of like, I actually am cynical in many ways, but I'm actually not particularly cynical at work. Like I actually just never think that people want to work on things that don't matter. It's the same amount of effort to do something that matters versus not mattering or very close. And so people prefer to work on things that matter. And oftentimes they just have someone hasn't like shined a spotlight on that for them. And so I think that's that was, you know, I think that's probably something I would give myself a tiny bit of credit for um, since I've been there. You recently went through a, uh, a rebrand, um, which is always fun and exciting. I kind of look at you, Keith, as um, as a, a bit of a, a renaissance man. Oh, uh, that too. 
as a bit of a cooler, <laughs> um, as it were, oh. you know, like, uh, that, you know, you have a mysterious past, maybe you come in, uh, you know, someone says, Hey, maybe your name is, is something like Dalton and you come in and you're going to take a look at something and say, Hey, I know exactly what we need to do to get this place, uh, ready for, uh, for prime time. I know Lunch Darkly was, was doing many amazing things before you got there, but so why, why a rebrand? Why is this important? Why should CMOs, uh, you know, do this? What, what was your thought here? So with the, uh, we'll go with the Roadhouse uh, reference, which I appreciate, and we can talk endlessly about. Um, yeah, Lunch Darkly was far from being the double deuce in this uh, analogy. But yeah, I mean, I think that rebrands are an absolute nightmare, having done many of them. But there's a lot of good reasons to do it. Let me tell you all the reasons it's a nightmare. A lot of work. I mean, a million details and people see just the end result of it, right? And, you know, never appreciate all the work that went into it. And not that that's important, but humans are humans. And you're like, no, no, you should see all, all of the work that went into that. You know, brands are very, they're subjective, right? So you're, you're just like, it's basically, I always say, you know, rebrand is just setting a date on your calendar sometime in the future where um, half the company is going to love something you did, half the company is going to hate something you did, and the entire company is going to slack you their opinion. And it's like, why would you do that to yourself? That's an absolute nightmare. Um, but in some cases, you know, I think about, you know, startups are, they're a lot like children, you know, they change from stage to stage. And you know, I have I have teenagers. Um, they're nothing like they were when they were five. I wish they were. They were much easier then. But you know what I mean? And if you think about your company the same way, you know, if you think about startup life cycle, the beginning is survival, right? You're you're trying to ship an MVP, you're trying to get product market fit, you know, you get some success or not, you're trying to get to growth and and eventually to scale. And all of those pieces that you think about as brand, and I just think of brand as, um, it's just all of the pieces that shape someone's opinion of your company, like just their visceral response, right? Um, and that's a very reductive answer, but we're talking about demand gen and not brand, so we're going to run with that one. Um, Dalton is a man of few words as it relates to brand. But, you know, what happens is, is that just the thing you are publicly facing, it's kind of like showing up at a party and then realizing you're wearing like clothes from five years ago, it just you just kind of know, right? So there is this sense of like you know, it feels a little outdated, out of touch. The thing you think you're trying to present externally isn't a being accomplished through the words and images. The other thing I think the better business reason is, you know, years ago, I mean, not that many years ago, but the the way people thought about marketing was you know consumer marketing consumers are very emotional and b2b buyers are very logical right and so it's like you you hit the consumer with all of these feel good images and you hit the b2b buyer with 7000 roi calculators because people just love those don't they um, and then we're smart enough now to know that like the same people that are consumers are also people who buy business software they don't flip their brain off from you know 9 to 5 and then flip it on to a different you know, channel from five to nine. And so um, we know now that B2B buyers are highly emotional and brand is nothing if not an emotional experience. And so, you know, trying to, to get people to attach themselves reputationally to something 
um, you're selling to something that they feel like they want to be a part of. In our world, like we we fundamentally change how people deliver software. That's an important thing. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we capture all of the intangibles related to that. And so that was why we did it. Um, but there's a lot of good business reasons to do it. It's a lot of work. You know, it's something I kind of view it, especially when a startup does it. You're really doing it. The rebrand is never for someone who currently knows you. We're not Nike. You know what I mean? Like, no one's looking at it and saying, like, this is amazing or this is this is terrible. Um, it's really, you're just conceding that more people are going to see you for the first time moving forward than have seen you previously. And you're just presenting something new. They'll never know it was a rebrand. So you have to sort of get over that mindset. You're not rebranding an airline. Um, you're just trying to package yourself up in a different way that uh, you want to present yourself moving forward. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, and it's such a good point that it's like, if you're a growing company that the, the next five years, way more people are going to see you than have seen you in the previous five. So yeah, next year, you know what I mean? Especially at this stage. So designers inevitably want, you know, the, the way I um, describe a rebrand is uh, John, who's the co-founder uh, John Kotomal is a co-founder of Lunch Darkly. He slacks me the day of the announcement and everything. He goes, seems, uh, seems like it went about as, as planned or as I would have hoped. And I was like, how's that? He goes, people looked at it, said, eh, and kept going. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, my my boss in the Army one time said to me, uh, he's like, Ian, I didn't hear from you uh, this whole training exercise. So I guess that means you're doing your job. <laughs> right. Yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, that's, that's exactly, uh, I think that's right. And so you're doing it for people who don't know you yet. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that famous Keith Messick playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> um, what are three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? I know you've already mentioned a couple here, but your three uncuttables. Yeah, I mean, we we spend a lot of uh, time, energy, resources on SEO. We always will. And so it's a the most important part of our mix. Um, paid does really well for us, especially in enterprise. We have a new category. We have, a, I think, a dead simple value prop, and we have a really compelling product. So... You combine those things and, and our paid efforts upstream are actually, I mean, better than I've ever had. Paid is always like a stopgap, you know what I mean? If you have to do too much paid, you, you're like, it's not a renewable resource, you know, so you're just constantly burning through that. Um, you always reach some sort of diminishing returns with paid. But um, for sure, upstream paid delivers. LinkedIn does really well for us if you want to specifically know. I mean, it's, I think it does well for a lot of people. LinkedIn paid? Yeah, yeah, LinkedIn Paid does well. We also do a lot of... I see your stuff all the time. Yeah, there you go. I never click. Yeah, well, don't click because I don't want to get... I might have to pay for that. I know. Um, that's right. Yeah, no, the... Um, and then I'd say third, honestly, is kind of our... We call it our always-on developer marketing. Um, we sponsor play... You know, we sponsor uh, content and podcasts and things like this where developers hang out. Um, we DevRel plays a part of our always on developer marketing. Um, and I think of that as also sort of like our speaking fat platform. And I throw, I throw 
events into that as well. I think of it as just like our, it's like our non, largely non-digital, always on developer marketing engine, right? And so um, I'd say those are the three. That last one is a bit of a collection of all of them, but I really didn't want to commit to just three. I want you to unpack the last one a little bit for me, because this is one of those things that like, I kind of feel like, like we do a lot of due diligence when we like create a, create a podcast for somebody. And a lot of that due diligence is in like searching the communities, looking at Reddit, looking at, you know, different other groups, stuff like that. There's so many things that aren't visible, right? Like you don't have visibility to people's, you know, group me's or private Slack channels or text messages or stuff like that. But like, that is the majority of the communication. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is, I don't know this, but by my hypothesis, it's the majority of the communication that happens is actually in those channels, not in the other ones where we, where we think those things are happening. So in order to create something like an always on developer focused marketing channel, I'd imagine that it's kind of like the Albert Einstein, I'm going to take 59 minutes to diagram the problem in one minute to solve it thing because you have to figure out where the heck these people are going before you can just throw money at all of them. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, it pay, this is another place where I think DevRel plays sort of like the the market research arm to some degree. You know what I mean? Like that, that in many ways they are the persona, right? Also we're sort of for engineers by engineers. So I just go to the actual engineering team that's building the product and say, where do you hang out? Like that, you know what I mean? Like we have the advantage of like, like I said earlier before we were on the air was, you know, when you, um, that sort of kernel of truth, uh, the atomic unit or whatever of, of the company is that two people set out to solve a problem that they had, that they had experienced. They didn't go look and research a, you know, I think that's an, an opportunity in the travel space or something like this. It was like, here's something that feels broken to us. We're practitioners in the space. We want to solve it. And so this is very authentic in our world. Like this isn't like, we're not trying to figure out what could possibly someone using our software think like we are those people like there's there, you know, we have hundreds of them internally. And so that's a real advantage versus trying to, you know, like if I were selling something to electricians, right, you know, like I'd have to make sure I really understand electricians versus um, here, like we, you know, step one was build a problem, build a solution to a problem we already have. Like, and that's, you know, you build off of that. So that helps a ton in terms of the 59 minute diagramming problem, but you're not wrong. You know, new category as well. I mean, we vendor like awareness is a huge part of the game. You know what I mean? Like just getting, I can't get people solution ready because a lot of people don't have a name for this yet. Like new category. This is the whole point. Like we are evangelizing this. Um, so getting them familiar with launch darkly is really important. And, and in a different way, like if you had, when we talked about Dialpad, uh, I used to be at Dialpad, you just had Morgan on from Dialpad, you know, that's a, that's a different market. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a massive market, business communications, like everyone has something, no one's sitting around wondering if they need something. Right. And then you're competing against these huge players in the space. Dialpad had the best product by a mile still does. And their challenge is sort of awareness relative to like people are already solution ready. 
they just like they don't know all the options. The iPad's like saying like, hey, hey, like we're one of those options. And in our world, awareness leads. It's sort of vendor aware, solution ready. And so we have to make sure that we're in places that more and more people, both organically and through sheer brute force, uh, know our name. See, this is one of the, so I think that that's a really interesting point. And if you think about the difference there of being in trying to make sure that you're one of the three solutions that's considered when it goes to the CIO or CTO, right? Versus this like awareness phase. And it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk developer relations so much because those are the things that like hearing someone that you respect or look up to talk on a podcast or write a blog post or share something on LinkedIn or, or speak at an event or whatever it is and say like, Hey, listen, yeah, I work at this company launch Sharkly. We're doing a lot of really cool stuff. And like, this is how, you know, this is how you can get ahead as a developer, you know, or be in a job like mine someday. That type of awareness is so much richer and deeper than having a, you know, a banner ad follow somebody around all over the internet. Whereas like if you're in, if you need to be in that consideration phase and you need to remind that person over and over and over and over again, that like you need to consider our company for the purchase, you might not maybe need to invest as much in something like a community driven thing, because you don't need to evangelize, you know, what you're doing and the purpose that you're trying to put forth. I mean, is that right? I mean, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but, but it's, it feels like the way that you're delivering the message needs to be structured a little, a little differently than just like digital tools. So I, you know, I think the basis of your question was you don't have defined demand. Like, cause I, I think of like, we talked about this at the very beginning. Like I think there's demand generation and there's demand capture. Right. If you're in a mature market, I view, uh, and I've been in those, Dialpad was a good example. Like demand is like, uh, you know, the 405 or whatever it is. Like you've got a million lanes and people are going and they're looking for your stuff. They, or they're looking for a solution to the problem and you solve that problem. And that, that solution has a name. Video conferencing, call center, like, you know what I mean? Like it, it's very defined, it exists. And your job is to try and efficiently as possible, like create an off ramp and just get as many people onto, you know, to, to the exit ramp as possible. But the demand is already there. No one is sitting around saying like, I don't know, do I, do I need phones? You know, or, I mean, they might not decide they don't want phones anymore, but you get my point. Like, like, it's not like I'm trying to educate them about the, the idea that this thing exists, Right. They're on the highway. I'm just trying to create the off ramp. That's the job. In LaunchDarkly's case, you know, we're not like capturing demand. It's actually both. Like, so there are people vendor aware, solution ready. We want to capture that demand, right? For sure. But in our world, it's also it's it's a lot of education. It's a lot of awareness, and it's or it's generating. You know, it is actually generating demand. It's taking someone who might be loosely thinking about something. They don't have a name for it yet. Like obviously they're building software. Obviously they'd like to move faster. They'd like to innovate faster. They understand the business reasons for doing that. They'd like less risk. They'd like happier, more productive developers. They understand the personal value um, to their career of, of excellence, of shipping software quickly with, with high business impact, right? 
But like they may not say like, oh, that's feature management software. Their problems are much more sort of abstract and sort of existential to some degree. And so that is not a capture demand. That is helping them put a name to this thing. This, this thing's bouncing around in their head and in their job, putting a name to it. And then a, a, that name, obviously, we want it to be launched darkly in addition to the category. And then from there, you, like, you've created a, a more and more vendor-aware people that you are then trying to make sure you capture that demand. Does that make sense? It's both stop. It's both steps. If you're in something that's bending more towards commodity, you're not really generating demand. You're just trying to capture it. When you were in the early stages, you were trying to do both. You want to make sure that you're capturing everyone that's ready, um, and you've got to continue to increase the size of that pool. And that, to me, is the major difference for how you think about demand in a company like LaunchDarkly versus a company like Dialpad. It's a good example. So then how do you view your website? That's a great question. I mean, it's both, it's education and conversion is the way we think about it. But it's, it's, um, it it actually plays all of the classic roles. It plays um, billboard, right? It's our always on asset. We have complete control over it. So we want it to be great. In fact, I'm rebranding and relaunching a completely new site in five days. So which will be live by the time you hear this. By the time this is out, everybody from Demand Gen Visionaries, you're going to be like, why are there so many marketers on my website? <laughs> That's right. Who are these people? Um, just say, look at it and then send us to your head of DevOps. Yeah, there <laughs> you fine. Go. So you should check this out. And also, I mean, marketers do get involved in feature management in sort of a, a testing, but it's a separate conversation. So I view it as, first of all, billboard brand. I, I'm a f- strong believer in B2B brand. We've talked about this in the past. I think it's something that was for the longest time considered a liability. It's this idea that you know, B2B buyers are, are hyper-rational and consumer buyers are you know, completely emotional. And no one ever seemed to think that, hey, it's the same person. <laughs> like the person buying software is also making really impulsive decisions on Amazon that evening. You know what I mean? Like it's the same person. No one's that good at compartmentalizing. So, you know, so billboard brand awareness, education is huge. We have to, we have to assume that like they don't know, like they're coming for the first time and they may not have a name for the problem. Again, if, if I'm selling call centers and you come to my call center website, you know what a call center is. You're like no one's at your, you're learning about the product. You're learning about differentiation. You're like, blah, blah, blah. But like, you don't need to know the name of the problem you're trying to solve in our world. Like, you know, we're trying to like educate and then obviously conversion is the, the last. And I mean, we judge the quality of the experience based on conversions. So, well, yeah, it's funny, right? It's like they come to your site and they're like, Hey, I heard about this from, you know, this event I went to, I saw one of their, you know, evangelists talking. It's like, they're like, it's like, get a demo. And you're like, demo what? Like, I don't even know what this company is. Right. And it's just, it's a funny, it's just a, it's a, it's a different type of a type of emotion. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, things like the quality of our API and SDKs and docs, like these things really, really matter. Like, it, it, I mean, these are some of the best some of the best marketing assets we have are these things that the you know the develop the product development team has built 
and the quality and the architecture and like things that you and I don't fully appreciate, but like the care that went into that really sets Launch Darkly apart. And so, you know, in our, in our world, marketing that and effectively marketing that is the challenge, but the, but the asset itself is such an A plus that it, it makes it, you know, it's much easier than the alternative, which is like, you know, you're trying to make something good appear great. In our world, we're trying to make something great, like make sure we actively or, you know, accurately represent it as great. Like it can only go down. I, I don't want marketing to screw it up. The one thing you haven't talked about is customer marketing. And I know customer marketing means multiple different things because we want to talk about an ill-defined category. Oh, my God. Marketers love that, right? What's up? They love, marketers love ill-defined things. Oh, yeah. So it's our favorite thing because then you get to define it. But customer marketing is very ill-defined. Yeah. So I'm curious, number one, how do you think about customer marketing? And number two, it seems like in an ecosystem like developers, where it is much smaller than you'd think, and people do know everybody, seeing their pals in a customer testimonial might be something that's pretty exciting. Yeah, voice of customer is really important in our business. I think with technical audiences in general, you know, there's a um, there's a reputation element to this. Like people naturally look at other companies, and just like you know, marketers look at other companies and go, "Oh, that's that's really good." You know what I mean? I, developers know which companies and which individuals are considered to be high quality. They have a lot of reputation in the larger community. So obviously, anytime we can get those people talking about us, there's nothing but but goodness there, right? So we think of customer marketing as sort of a champion in, in evangelist sort of marketing right now. Like I don't think of it as like expansion, if that makes sense. Right now it's like, how do I get our advocates, enable them to participate, enable them to, you know, ideally they want to talk about us and like, you know, how do we make that process easy for them? We, ought, we try and get them speaking. A lot of events we speak at, we'll speak with a customer. So a lot of times what we want to do is try and help elevate our customer status as well, right? So it's a mutual exchange of value. It's not just like, hey, cool, you bought our software and you like it, now go sell it for us. That's not super compelling. And so we try and create something that's value both directions. Um, as far as expansion is concerned, handle that actually in demand gen. Um, and, and also customer success and sales, like we have a sort of natural expansion motion and, but yeah, we think of customer marketing right now as advocacy champions that may change over time. But I think at this point to your, to your point, it's really the gas on the fire is getting people when people talk about us, word of mouth is this amazing thing. That's also hard to predict, but when you have it, it's great. Last question before we get to our desktop here. Um, Is there one channel that or tactic that you don't think is working as well these days or is fading away or something that you're not going to be investing in in the future? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we look at this like a we look at it like, you know, a, a control board with a bunch of switches and knobs. I mean, we turn things up and down and turn them on and off based on results. 
and I, I, I say that's more of a, I, I think I view it that way versus more of like an overall industry trend, you know what I'm saying, of what's working and it's not working. Because mm-hmm. some things that work for a company or an industry may or may not work for us and vice versa, right? So that's, that's you know, so we just view it as like, we're putting dollars in, what's our return on those dollars? And we've got that very structured in terms of how we measure by programs and campaigns and channels. And we do more of what's working and less of what's not. That, that's sort of the easy answer. As it relates to the trends, um, I, think that, I think that if you asked me this two years ago, I'd say the same thing. and probably did. Um, I think content marketing is you know, a ship that has run aground in many cases. And you mean like sponsoring, paying for content? On, I don't, I mean, just creating sort of low value content of which there is a ton, like it's just inundated. It, you know, like, uh, you know, here's a report on, and and there's, there's no, um, you mean like filling up your blog with just stuff, just stuff, right? And, and like, here's an ebook on a thing, but it's, it's not valuable. Like, you get in there and, you know, and, and, um, I hate that. Like, and this will happen to me sometimes. Like, someone will time something perfect. I'm, you know, this is a problem I was thinking about. Um, and someone hits me with, hey, like, download our new this. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Good timing. Like, congratulations, whoever set all of that up. And then I download it and I open it and it's just a total airball. It's like, a, you know, it's like going to the French laundry. And, you know, you have all these expectations and the, the you know, the wait staff walks up with the silver dome and they, you know, you're salivating and they've got the white gloves on and they lift the dome and it's a hot dog. You're like, hot dog? Like, wasn't expecting a hot dog, Thomas Keller. That's how I feel about content marketing oftentimes. It's a lot of hot dogs. It's a relatable story for a lot of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hot dog. I've never been to the French Laundry, but that's my. I mean, I really love hot dogs. By the way, I'd prefer it to French Laundry if it makes you feel better. I just order burgers everywhere. But my point is, is that like, it's (laughs) I I the expectation is set quality wise in my head, and then the quality it's rarely met, and that's very frustrating. So I just think like less, more impactful content is a trend that I would like to see. I love it. I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Love hot dogs as well. I knew you loved hot dogs. We ate hot dogs together um, at the. Yeah, I love hot dogs, but you know, I don't want to pay a thousand dollars for one. Okay, uh, let's get to our dust step. Uh oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board or sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Keith, have you had a famous dust-up in your career? <laughs> many. <laughs> I mean, how many? How much time do you have? I think that's my oh, brand pick, pick a, a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I think that tension is healthy, productive. There's a point where it can be unhealthy and unproductive, but like, I think when you have people in your organization who care enough to be direct, who all want the same outcome, they want to win, then um, the debates and dust-ups over the details and processes and how to get there 
I think are really, really valuable. I never run away from those. I encourage them. And I'm always really concerned when I'm at a place where no one's ever disagreeing about something. It really bothers me. Uh, but I use, you know, sales and marketing always has some dust ups. The, I used to be in sales, so I actually think I'm a pretty sales friendly uh, head of marketing. And then the other one's always finance. <laughs> it's, it's always the two. Product to some degree depends on, the, I'd say there's always a little tension between where product management start stops and product marketing starts. Did I do that right? Stops and starts, you got it. Um, and that's sort of company to company, I think. But that tension in and of itself, I think, is really healthy. I actually enjoy that piece. I never take it personally, and I never try to make it personal. Okay, let's get to our quick hits. These questions are quick and easy. Just like conversational marketing with Qualified, you can go to qualified.com right now and learn more. Qualified's the best. They're, they're our best friends, and they've been with us since the first episode of this show, and we love them dearly. Go to qualified.com to learn more, because Qualified Prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly with Qualified. Quick hits. Keith, are you ready? Yeah, by the way, also... Um no kidding. We, we are implementing qualified now. So there you go for sure. Hey, now look at that truth and advertising. I hope everybody's listening. Keith, you're hearing how smart Keith is and he's, he's unqualified. We love them. They're the best. Number one, if you weren't in marketing at all, what do you be doing? I mean, I, I actually enjoyed oddly enough. I, I wouldn't mind going back to writing code at some point. I enjoyed it years ago. I wasn't great at it, but I, it, it sort of satisfied a part of my brain sort of problem solving piece that I really, really enjoyed. So if I were to stay in tech, I'd, you know, I think that'd be one. If I were getting out of tech. No, you got to get out of business altogether. No business. Yeah. I mean, I would, I just, you know, I would, uh, I wouldn't mind just being on a farm in the middle of nowhere away from everyone. That's what happens when you get old. You're like, what's the thing I can do where no one's around? Give me that. Yeah, I think that one's that one's probably it. I, I enjoy working with my hands. I enjoy, you know, I, I enjoy all of those things. But I, I think I'd probably just go find me a patch of land um, in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, fine, and live there and try to avoid people. If we brought you back in a year, what's the biggest thing that changed? Hopefully we're live. <laughs> I'd like to. Yeah, we'll bring you back in person in a year. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I would really, I'd really like to, I'd really like to get back to hopefully uh, some normalcy as it relates to in-person stuff. What's your best piece of advice for someone, a CMO, marketing leader, trying to figure out demand gen for the first time? Honestly, I think I'd try and figure out if I'm, I mean, I'd really have a solid understanding of whether I'm creating or capturing demand. I think like if you don't understand that, you're going to apply the wrong tools for the job. You know what I mean? It's like a blowtorch is cool. Like you ever use a blowtorch, it's super cool. But like if you're just fixing the refrigerator door, you don't need the blowtorch, right? So the secret to life and I think marketing in general is having all the tools available and knowing which one to pick for the job. And I think if you don't understand the problem around capture or creation, I think it's very hard to choose the right tool. 
Keith, you're the best. I always love chatting with you. It's been awesome having you on the show. For all of our listeners, go to launchdarkly.com. New website, time now. Go check it out. Tell your uh, tell your developers and your, your head of DevOps to check it out as well. Keith, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Um, we're hiring. Hiring a lot. We were just in the number 47 of the Cloud 100. So we have a lot of open recs. I have a lot of open recs on my team. Um, it's a great company. It's an exciting time. It's a new category. And um, I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, go uh, go to launchdarkly.com and, and go check out the careers page. Lots of stuff going on for marketing here, uh, here shortly. Thanks, Keith. Ian, always a pleasure, man. Let's do it live next time. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.